0: Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are sign. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Yes. Amen. Thanks, Austin. Um, good morning, First how are we? Good, good alright. Hey, this morning uh, was, was an awesome morning uh, at our 915 gathering. Uh, we get to have a baptism at 915 this morning. Uh, Paige Flam, many of you guys know Paige. Paige was baptized this morning. She, she read uh, her story, the story of her faith journey. Um, and we're going to try and get that posted online so you guys can check that out as well. But we have some pictures of it this morning. Uh, and so it was just a, just a sweet morning for us here at Flourishing Grace. We just we rejoice and we delight every time we get to see somebody move from spiritual darkness into spiritual light and then symbolize that for us as a church uh, in baptism. Uh, Kate Coons, many of you guys know Kate Coons, was also uh, supposed to get baptized this morning. Um, but, man, I'll tell you what, it was a crazy week uh, her, her little baby got uh, uh, um, RSV, yes, RSV, and was in the hospital this week. And then she gets out of the hospital and says, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. And then Kate comes down with laryngitis. Um, and so we just want to be praying for Kate, and we're going we're gonna to make sure that she gets baptized as soon as she feels uh, healthy as well. But man, what a sweet, we just wanted to celebrate that uh, with you guys, uh, even though it was at our 915 gathering as well. So as Austin read, we're in Zechariah this morning. Zechariah chapter 3, and we're, we're going to be, uh, in this uh, season of Advent, we're traveling through the Minor Prophets uh, together as a church. And for those of you who know your Bible, or maybe you just actually listened as Austin read, you're like, wait, why are we doing this? Uh, the Minor Prophets are, um, I mean, the series. there's 12 Minor Prophets at the end of our Old Testament, and they're all just an absolute beatdown. I love reading the Minor Prophets, because it's just like... I don't know. It makes me feel better about my life. Um, it's all doom and gloom. It's all like, this is going to go badly for you. Because you've done this, you're wicked, you're horrible, you're evil. And, and it's going to go so poorly for you. It's going to, the entire, your nation's going to be taken over. And uh, this, it's, just, it's all bad, okay? Um, all of these minor prophets have, have very little good things to say. But in every single one of them, there is this thread of hope. In every single one of them, sometimes it's just one sentence. Um, Often it's like just a short little couple sentences, a paragraph, where God says, but there is a remnant, there's a group of faithful people. And because of their faithfulness, I will restore them. I'm going to call them out, and I'm going to restore myself to you. I'm going to send a Savior King, the Messiah, and he's going to come. And so all these minor prophets actually are kind of the perfect picture, encapsulation of Advent, because they remind us of who we are without that Savior King, and how much we need that Savior King. And they create in us a sense of longing and desire and need for Christ to come, as he did in Bethlehem, and as he is going to do one day once again for us, right? So Minor Prophets, um, I love the Minor Prophets. And it's a great thing to lean into during Advent. So we're going to be walking through a few of them, kind of from a high level. And then we're going to drill down into a few verses. And so on a high level, Zechariah uh, writes at a time. So he his life. He lives at a time where um, the the nation of Israel has um, has come back from an exile in Babylon, right? So uh, their forefathers were sinful. They um, they were living idolatrous lives. They were not faithful to the Lord, and so God says, "Okay, listen. I'm going to give you over to another nation. I'm going to give you over to Babylon." And so the Babylonians come in and they they basically kidnap. The children, and the smartest, and the brightest, and the sharpest. And they bring them into Babylon. This is the time of Babylonian exile. And so they, they live in Babylon. And it's, not, it's not like the worst situation in the world, but for them, this is horrible. Because there is, there's a sacredness of their homeland, and where God is with His people, and the nation of Israel, there's pride in this land. Um, and so for the, the major Je- prophet, Jeremiah says, God speaks through him and says, man, this is going to last for 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, I'll, I'll bring you back into your land, and, while, and you'll restore and rebuild the temple, and, and I will once again draw near to you. And so Zechariah, he lives his life at the end, towards the end of these 70 years. And the people are back from exile in Babylon. Babylon. And they are, they are rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah is calling them to rebuild the temple. He's calling them to draw near to the Lord. And then they are, the people of Israel, are going kind of back to the way that their forefathers did it. And so the work of Zechariah as a prophet is again and again and again and again. He is charging the people, don't mess this up like your parents messed it up. All right? Don't do what they did. Don't jack this up. Don't believe that if you just do religion and you just do all the right things and you kind of check off all the boxes, that, that God is somehow a genie in a bottle. You just kind of rub the lamp. You do all the right things. And then he's going to give you everything you want. That's not what God wants from you. He doesn't want you to just kind of do all these things. He wants intimacy. He wants to draw near to you. He, he, he wants a people that are his people that love him and long to be with him, not people who just want all the benefits without him the people of Israel they want the kingdom they want all the goodness of the kingdom but they don't want the king and Zechariah is writing again and again and again the prophecies of Zechariah are correcting this behavior and so what we have in Zechariah kind of a high level view we have these eight dreams okay these visions in the night that God gives to Zechariah and they're all creepy they're all weird And we're going to look at one of them today. All right? Merry Christmas. It's going to be great. And then we have a few bigger prophecies. And they're all kind of pointing to people, hey, to intimacy with God. And so the the one that we look at today uh, in chapter 3, Austin read for us. What we see right out of the gate um, is Joshua. Joshua the high priest. If if you're following along, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, right? Joshua is standing there in this vision, in this dream in the night. And he's the high priest. He, he was At this time in, in the history of the nation of Israel, he's the high priest. Now, this is not Joshua, kind of the famous Joshua, who was the heir of Moses that led uh, the, the Israelites into the promised land, fought the battle of Jericho. Different guy, okay? This is Joshua the high priest. And he's standing there, and standing next to him on his right hand is Satan, okay? Now, if, if for you, maybe, maybe you're just like, oh, okay, and you just keep on reading but for Zechariah and for his audience in ancient Israel this would have been mind blowing okay because Joshua is the most holy man on the planet okay there's no one like him and I, I don't know if you if you can imagine for a minute um kind of the most holy person you can think of right the most moral, the most kind, the most loving, the most God fearing, the most what it fill in the blank. I don't know who that person is for you, some some prophet, some priest, some pastor, some pope, or I, I don't know in your mind, Mother Teresa. I don't know what you think of when you think of that, but take that times hundred, and you have how Israel viewed Joshua. He he is the only one who can actually like enter into the presence of God. He's the most holy man on the planet. And he's standing there. In the same room with Satan at his right hand. Like this is not, this is not compute for Zechariah. This, this does not make sense. And Satan is standing there and he's accusing him. He's accusing him. Satan is accusing the most holy man on the planet. And the first thing that I want you to see this morning is this. None of us escape the accusations of Satan. No one escapes the accusations of Satan. We are all a people accused. This is what Satan does, and he does it to everyone. If you are here this morning, he does it to you, and he does it really well, and he does it every single day, all day long. What Satan? Satan. The name Satan literally means um, adversary or accuser. Okay, adversary or accuser. This is what he does. He is our adversary, he's against us, and then he accuses us. Twofold. He's always kind of putting the lure out there, and the moment you bite it, he's like, look what you did, right? Look what you did, you little jerk. Um, Home Alone reference, nobody? Okay. All right, never mind, I'm going to probably get an email on that one. Um, it's Christmas, I've already watched Home Alone like three times. Um, Satan is always ready to, to accuse us after he traps us. Uh, it's like this. Um, this past week, uh, my, my oldest son, Winston, he's seven years old, and he's into wrestling. He loves wrestling. So we were at wrestling practice, and if the wrestlers are good, they work hard and they try hard all, all, the whole time, uh, at the end, they're allowed to play a game, okay? And these games are not like normal games. These are full contact games, all right? So it's normally uh, dodgeball or um, this kind of full, t- full contact foxtails or, or, in this case, sharks and minnows, Anybody ever play Sharks and Minnows? You guys know what I'm talking about? A few of you. Okay. Sharks and Minnows. This is how it works. Okay. One team is the Minnows. It's the larger team. So most of the kids are Minnows, and they start on one end of the room. And the other team is a smaller team. They're the Sharks, and they, they start on the other end of the room. And the Minnows have to run to the other side of the room without getting captured by a shark. Now, normally, if you play this game growing up on the playground, it's tag. Okay. It's like team tag. Okay. But not in wrestling is full contact, all right? So the object of the shark is to grab the minnow, throw him to the ground, and pin him on his back. And if you can get him on his back, he becomes a shark. And the shark team grows larger and larger and larger and larger until all you have left are a few minnows and they're always like the biggest, toughest, strongest guys in the room. But then it's like 15 on one. It's like a massive dog pile, okay? It's just huge, trying to get these bigger kids. You see all these little kids trying to pile on these big kids and rough them up. So Winston is a shark, and the minnows, the coach says, go, and the minnows start running, and Winston's got his eyes up, and he's looking for the smallest, scrawniest little kid he can find. Hey, that's just a strategy, man, this is what you do. And he sees this little kindergartner coming at him, he's like, oh baby, this one's mine, and he grabs this kindergartner, lays him out, flips him over on his back, and he jumps up and he goes, you're a shark, and he runs off to go get the next kid. Now, everything he did there is what you're supposed to do. I know it sounds violent, sounds horrible. It's what you're supposed to do, except for the jumping up and getting it in your face and ridiculing you and accusing him in front of everybody, right? And so this little kindergartner, and I look at this. I'm like, oh, hey, everybody's moving on. Winston's oblivious. This little kindergartner curls up in a little ball and just begins to sob and cry. And I'm just like, oh, no. Like, what has happened? What is going on? And all day, every day in your life, Satan is, the Bible says, I mean, he is he's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. He is the shark. And he is trying to trap you. He's trying to get you to bite on the lure. He's trying to click, trying to get you to click on that image. He's trying to get you to get frustrated and angry. And he's good at it. And the moment you do, the moment you do, he goes, you're on my team. You're a sinner. You're broken. You're filthy. And you're mine. You're a slave to sin. You're condemned. You, you are clothed in shame. You're clothed in embarrassment. Look at how horrible you are. And this happens all day, every day. You know it does. It's the days when he is Orchestrated a day of stress and anxiety at work, and nothing's going away. And you know you've got this big presentation, and you know you've got to present numbers, and the numbers aren't going to add up to the way that they're supposed to add up. And that unexpected employee walks into the room, and they say the wrong thing, and you just unleash on them. And he says, "Look at you, look what you did! Look what you did! Look how filthy you are! You're no good! You claim to be a follower of Jesus, look how you act!" Look how how you act. You're sitting there and you're working away on your computer or on your phone and an image pops up. And you click on the image and then another another image and another image and another image and another image. And suddenly he says, look what you did. You're on my team. You know that, right? I own you. You're a slave to sin. You're mine. You're driving through traffic and Somebody kind of swerves in your lane, cuts you off, and you just, oh, you just explode. You drive up alongside them, you give them the New Jersey State bird, cut them off, get home, get out of the car. And you're like, oh, why, why did I do that? Why did I get so upset? Why did I get, look what you did. You're on my team. You know that, right? You're just like me. You're filthy. You're dirty. You'll never, and here's the, here's the, here's the greater lie, okay? And God will never love you. Look how look how gross you are! God's not going to save you. He doesn't care about you. Why would He care about you? Don't you realize you think you ha- you think you're all that good? You think, you're, but you're not, and you know you're not. And some of you guys have had this in your mind. You've been wearing this badge for years. He wants to clothe you in shame and condemnation, and guilt. And some of you, it's 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 been decades. There's something that you did in your life long ago. And I don't know what it was. I don't know who you hurt. I don't know what you did. I don't know what her name was or what his name was. But you playing that tape in your mind. You were playing it this morning. And Satan's whispering in your ear. He's at your right hand. And he say, look at how dirty you are. Look at how broken you are. God will never love you. And he's partially right. You are broken. You are dirty. We are sinful people we have sinned this week today you've sinned it's true that's true but there's someone else in the room who look at verse 1 who else is in the room you got satan on the right hand of joshua whispering in his ear who's on his left the angel of the lord and scholars say this isn't just isn't any angel of the lord this is not just some angelic being this is the angel of the Lord. We see this in the Old Testament. This is not an angel. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. We see this in the scripture again and again and again. We see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, where, where uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and he says, hang on, uh, how many people did we send into the furnace? And like three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He goes, no, 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 there's four. And the fourth one looks like a son of man. It's not a human, not an angel. Something crazy is in there. Someone crazy. It's the pre incarnate Christ is in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and ago. And here again, we have the pre incarnate Christ standing on the left side of Joshua. And in verse 2, he's not referred to the angel of the Lord, he's referred to as the Lord. And verse 2 reads this way. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? A rebuke. The Lord rebuke you. Rebuke is a sharp correction. Right? Either you've done something wrong or you've said something wrong. In this case, Satan has said something wrong. Now he said some true things. He said you're a sinner. That's true. He said you're dirty. That's true. He said you're broken. That's true. You've done some wrong things. That's true. But then he says, and God, because of all that, God does not love you. He will not draw near to you. He can't touch you. You're filthy. There's no way he's going to draw near you. And Jesus says, wrong. wrong. Satan says, you're on my team now. I own you. And Jesus says, no. I rebuke you. I correct you. That is not right. That is not true. And I will not stand here and allow you to spit that lie into Joshua's ear. And he won't allow you to just spit the lie into your ear or my ear either. You're wrong. That's not true. This is the second thing that I want you to see this morning. The accusation of sin is true in your life. It's true. But it does not mean that God does not love you. The accusations of sin is true, but it does not mean that God does not love you. Satan speaks truth even in his lies, right? We see in the garden um, with with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, right? Satan says, "Uh, did God really say? Did he really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve's like, oh, I, I... No, like he said, we can't eat from one tree. The tree in the middle of the garden. There's truth mixed into the lie. There's truth mixed into the turkey all the time. He's crafty. He's sharp. He's good, and he's constantly mixing l- truth and lies. And there's truth that we are broken people, but the lie is that because of that, God does not love this. Jesus says, "Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire?" I rebuke you. That's not true. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? He's talking about Joshua. But the idea of a brand is kind of messed up on us. It's lost on us. Um, in our English Standard Version, it says brand. Um, in our Western culture, right, when you think of brand, you think of this hot piece of iron that you put in the fire and you pull it out and you use it to mark a cow or a bull or a steer. He said, man, that one's mine. But that's not what's going on here, okay? Uh, in the English Standard Version, uh, it says brand, but it, by brand there's a little number. You follow that number down on the bottom of the page, and it says a burning stick, okay? A brand was a stick used to stoke the fire, okay? It was a stick used to turn over the logs and kind of help the fire grow. It's, the, it's that stick. Um, when we go camping as a family, um, it's really important. If we get there, we set up all of our stuff. And before we get the fire going, you got to go find the perfect stick, the perfect stoking stick, right? And you want to keep that stick all week long, right? Because it's the perfect stick. You found it, and you're going to use it all week long to kind of turn the fire over, turn the logs over, get the fire going. You play with it, you like get it on fire, and you write your name in the, in the, in the at the you night. Know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun stick to have all week long. And so you kind of protect that stick all week long. And inevitably, one of my kids shoves it in the fire and leaves it there overnight, and I come out in the morning, my perfect stick is like this long now. But Jesus says, is this not one that has been plucked from the fire? Saved from the fire? Satan says, you're mine. Jesus says, no he's not. He's mine. He belongs to me. I've plucked him from the fire. He's not yours. Satan says, "Jesus, God can't love you. Jesus says, I do love him. And I've saved him. I've rescued him from the fire. He's mine now. Is this not one plucked from the fire? He's talking about Joshua, but he's also talking about Israel, and he's talking about you, and he's talking about me, because this is not a brand plucked from the fire, this is not a stick, a burning stick taken out of the fire, at the right time, and the right moment, just when you thought Satan had won, when God could never love you, Jesus snatches us from the fire, Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 6 through 8, he says, for a while, while we were still weak, at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. It's true. It's true you're ungodly. But it's not true that God does not love you. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for you, and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. It's not true. God has plucked you from the fire. He's saved you, he's rescued you, he's redeemed you, even in the midst of your sin. The accusations are true, but he still loves you. Now, Satan still says, No, 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 look at yourself. You might be saved from the fire. You might be plucked out. But take a good look at yourself. Look at the next verse. Look at verse um, 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Have you ever had that dream? Like the dream? Like the, the dream? Where you're standing there and you're giving this presentation. Like maybe, I don't know, you're speaking to like your college graduation. Like... You barely passed college, but somehow in your dream, like you're summa cum laude and you're giving the speech and, uh, or maybe you're presenting this thing at work and you're, you're, you're cr- you've crafted this whole thing and all the employees and everybody in the company are sitting there and you're giving the speech and all of a sudden everybody starts laughing at you. Nobody? Everybody laughing? Yeah, okay, some of you are like, oh yeah, I've had that dream. It's like the dream. And they're all laughing at you. You're like, well, why are they laughing? why am I laughing? I'm, I'm crushing it. What's going on? And then you look down and you're wearing nothing but your birthday suit. Like what, what's going on here? What's happening? Uh, it's the dream. It's a dream that nobody wants to dream. That's what's happening in this moment. Jesus says, "No, no, no. He's mine. I plucked him out of the fire." And Satan says, "Really? Why don't you take a good look at yourself?" And he looks down. He's filthy. Now this is this is staggering for Zechariah, right? Because this is again, this is the high priest. He's he's got he's got priestly garments on. He's got these special symbolic clothes. He's set apart, unlike anybody else. He's the high priest in these spotless clothes that are special and significant and holy. And they're covered in filth. It's a symbol of his sin and his dirtiness. And so Satan whispers in his ear, really? Okay, okay, yeah. Jesus snatches you from the fire. Fine. But why don't you take a look at yourself and tell me, do you deserve it? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay, okay. Yeah, Jesus steps in. He rebukes me. But... Let's just ask the question: Do you really think you deserve it? And he looks and he's filthy. He's covered in filth. Everyone is dirty. And Satan can point this out in anyone. And we all want to cover it up, we want to keep it hidden, we want to keep it secret. We don't want anybody to know that I'm filthy. That I'm unholy. And we have convinced ourselves, okay, Jesus has saved me, but, but here's the thing. I need to kind of do some things in order to kind of earn His love, in order to earn His favor. There's some things that I need to do. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 64, 6-8. Six he says, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name or who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. Now, normally we stop there, but we realize, man, there's more. Verse 8, we separate verse 8 from the rest of it. But well, Here's what verse 8 says. says. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. We want to separate those things. We want to believe that, I mean, i got to get myself right before I come before God. This is what Satan's whispering in your ear. Okay, maybe Jesus snatched you from the fire, but you're filthy. Look at yourself. Do you really think you deserve it? You better get to work. You better get to work. You need to earn this this gift that he's given you. And so we get busy with religion in order to cover our dirt. We do all the right things, and we pay the right amount of money, and we say the right things, and we show up at the right things, and we go through all the motions to try to get ourselves right and prove to everybody that we're not as unclean as we think we are. Or maybe for you, it's um, in your place of work. You don't care about religions. Religion's dead to you. You don't want anything to do with religion. But you still know you're unclean. And so you work, and you work, and you work to be number one in your company so that everybody knows that you're not actually as bad as you really are. Maybe it's just as a mom, you need to be the perfect mom. And you need to, everybody else around you to know that you've got this. You can handle it. You don't need help. Look how good I am. Look how well-dressed my kids are. Look how well-behaved they are. I've got it all on, on lock. I just don't want anybody to know actually who I am deep down, who Satan is whispering in my ear that I am. Maybe it's social media. Man, I'm going to create this picture of myself and where everything's perfect in my life. And this is what people are going to see. I'm going to sell it to the world so that nobody knows who I really am. I'm filthy and I'm broken. But Isaiah says, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. You, you've missed it. You don't understand. He's the potter and you're the clay. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't cover it up. You need him to take you and reshape you and remold you. And this is exactly what happens in this vision, in this dream. Look what happens next in verse 4. The angels, no, verse 6, sorry. And we have all become like, my goodness, where am I? Nobody knows. Verse 4, I was right the first time. Verse 4, and the angel said to those who are standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to those he said, to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments, with pure, royal, holy garments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Satan is right. You are guilty. Satan has clothed you. He has clothed you in shame and condemnation and embarrassment He's clothed you in it. But Jesus transforms us into those who are worthy. We are not worthy. Satan's right. We're not clean. Satan's right. Satan says, look at yourself. Don't you realize how filthy you are? And he's right. But Jesus says, I've snatched you from the fire. And I transform you. There's nothing less. When you look at yourself in Christ, when you look at yourself, he has clothed us in his own righteousness. He has taken off our iniquity. He's taken off our shame. He's taken off our condemnation. He's clothed us in his own pure and holy righteousness. That's what we wear in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who have been snatched from the fire, we're not just saved, we're transformed we people who are made new, made clean in Christ. Again, Paul in Ephesians 5, 25-27, he compares how husbands should love their wives to the way that Christ has loved us. He says this, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. and He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, that's you and me if you're in Christ, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what's happening in this text. It's this foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do. He's not just going to pluck you from the fire and say, okay, I saved you. No, he's going to transform you completely. He's going to give you his own righteousness. He's going to impute his righteousness to you. Now here's what's fascinating about this text. We don't have a lot of time to get into it. We're running out of time. What has Joshua done so far? What's his story? What's he done so far in this text? <laughs> Stand there. That's all he's done. He just stands there. He hasn't said one word. He hasn't made one motion. He has just stood there the entire time. Not one thing. He has not done a single thing this entire time. You got Satan and Jesus going at him, and he's doing nothing. Nothing. He's not done anything to earn this. He's not done anything to deserve this. He's not done anything at all. This is pure grace. It's pure grace. There's, there's not one ounce of, of something that Jesus has seen in Joshua where that he's like, oh man, I want him out of the fire, but I'm gonna leave everybody. No, it's pure grace. It's pure grace, it's pure power. Pure power of Jesus, not the power of Joshua. So so for some of us, we think, okay, Jesus has snatched me out of the fire. Jesus cleansed me. But man, I've got to get my life together. I've got to do these things. Jesus, no, I want to do that in you. This is the theme of the entire work of Zechariah, that God wants to be so near to you. And he wants to do all the work. He's the father who is the potter and you are the clay. He wants to form you. He wants to shape you. He wants to mold you. He wants to draw near to you. He wants you to draw near to him. And allow him to do this work to you. There's this scene um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, where one of the one of these young boys young boy becomes a dragon. He's this bitter, grumpy, curmudgeon-y young boy. And in his sin and in his brokenness, he becomes, he's transformed into a dragon, okay? And he can't escape. And everybody's afraid of him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be near him, right? And and he's communicated that he is a boy. He is this kid. And they're like, wait, the dragon's the kid. The kid's the dragon. What's going on here? And he tries so hard to get this dragon skin off of him because he doesn't want to be a dragon. And so he he scrapes and he claws and he's bleeding and he pulls the scales off of him and they just keep growing back. They just keep growing back. They keep growing back. He can't get it. And Aslan, the great lion, who is the Christ figure in the story, says, if you'll allow me, I can take that off of you. But you've got to allow me to come near. You've got to allow me to do the work. You've got to draw near to me, and I've got to draw near to you. And it's not going to feel good. It's not. And it doesn't. It's this violent scene where Aslan takes his big claws and he rips the skin off of this boy. And it's painful. And there's agony. And there's sorrow. And there's despair. He takes his naked kind of raw body and he throws him into the the water. Symbolizing baptism, right? And there there's healing. And he comes up out of the water and he's a boy once again. Jesus wants to do this work in your life, man. He wants to pull all that gross, nasty clothing that Satan has clothed you and he wants to pull it off of you and it's painful and it doesn't feel good until it's done. And Then you realize who you are in Christ. That you are made new. Now how does he actually do this? How does Jesus actually do this? That's the last thing that I want you to see this morning. Jesus does all of this by becoming the branch in place of the stick. What? Yeah. Jesus does all of this by becoming the branch in place of the stick. Here's what is, happens in verse 8, if you're following along. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the capital B branch. I'm going to bring him the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes. We learn later that's the eyes of the Lord, these kind of perfect, all seen seven eyes. I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land on a single day. I'm gonna do this work on a single day, in a single sweep of my hand, I'm gonna remove all the iniquity of the land. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to become, to come under the, his vine. And under his fig tree. You see, here's what's going on. right? We, we see earlier in, in the text right, that Joshua is represented as a stick in the fire. And Jesus says, is this not a stick snatched out of the fire? How does he do that? Has he snatched him out of the fire? He does it by becoming a stick himself. Jesus, the, the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He puts on flesh... He becomes just like you, and He becomes just like me. He becomes a branch, a servant. He says, Man, I, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give His life as a ransom for many. He's drawn near as, just like you, just like me. He becomes like us, to take your place. He is the branch that enters into the fire in order to pull you out of it. He is the branch that puts on your filth. And your sin, in order to bear the wrath of God on the, on the cross, and on a single day, takes the iniquity from the land. Zechariah is being shown in this vision, the coming Messiah King as a branch. We see this theme throughout the Old Testament in mess- Messianic prophecies. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 53, 2-6, he says this. For he, and this is the Messiah, the he, grew up, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And Paul in him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus becomes this little branch. In a manger in Bethlehem, He comes for us, small and insignificant, a little shoot, a little root, and He grows up among His people. He grows up among us, just like us. And He goes to the cross in order to become the stick in the fire for you. He lives His perfect, spotless, blameless life. But then He takes all of your sin and all of your brokenness, all of your iniquity, and He removes it in a single day. He snatches you from the fire. He says, This one's mine. And he cleanses you by taking all of your sin and putting it on himself and burying it on the cross and clothing you in his righteousness. And so, for those of you in the room this morning who know you're in Christ and you've given your life to him, but Satan is still whispering in your ear, today might you live free from that. Might you drop that weight of that guilt and drop the weight of that shame, shed the clothes allow Christ to rip that off of you and never believe that lie again. That you are unloved, unlovable, unsavable, uncleansable. You have been saved. You are loved and you are clean. You stand before Christ and you stand before Satan spotless. Not because of anything you've done, but because of all the things that he has done for you. And for those of you in the room who have never given your life to this king, who have never given your life to the savior, he is coming again. And Advent reminds us of this. He's coming again for us. Please, bend your knee to Him. Allow Him to snatch you from the fire before it's too late. He loves you. In spite of yourself, He does. Turn to Him now. Give your life to Him. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. We come before you and you alone. The only one who can save. The only one who can redeem. The only one who can snatch us from the fire, the only one who is perfect and spotless and blameless. We come before you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we declare that you have done great things. You have done great things. For those who are undeserving, for those who are unworthy, for those who are unclean, you have snatched us from the fire. You've called us out of spiritual darkness and you've brought us into the kingdom of your marvelous light. You've cleansed us. You've removed our iniquity in a single day. You've removed our unrighteousness, our filth and our sin. You've clothed us with righteous and holy garments. We are clean in you. Would you help us by the power of your spirit to believe that truth this morning, tomorrow, the next day and the next. Until you return for us. And we see just how clean you've actually made us. We pray this thing's in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing one last song together. If you would stand, let's just declare his good work in this place this morning.
0: Let's sing.